first half. What's up, everybody? Welcome to what is going to be a very somber episode of At The Hive Live. Uh, we are part of the SB Nation Network of Podcasts, and I'm your host, Chase. I'm here with my co-host, James. On today's show, we will get into the details <coughs> of LaMelo Ball's season-ending wrist fracture that was announced Sunday evening and discuss what that means for the Hornets going forward and for the rest of the season. Uh, but in the second half of the show, will be a, a little, little bit of a lighter note. We'll be talking some March Madness and discussing the NBA draft prospects that are currently playing in the tournament with Dylan Jackson, a writer for Dunking with Wolves and former At The Hive contributor, and the King of Hornets Twitter. But uh, James, how have you handled the uh, very depressing, crushing news that uh, LaMelo Ball is going to be out for the rest of the year with a fractured wrist so far? I'm in utter disbelief. At the same time, as a Charlotte Hornets fan, I I come to expect the worst, and this is this is maybe not the worst. You know, maybe like an Achilles would be worse, uh, a knee ligament maybe. But I mean, like we're splitting hairs here. It's yeah. it's a bad time. Like I tweeted out last night, Chase, we're not going to watch the Murray Ball play basketball for another eight months. Yep. That's a long time. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. In in a year that is as hard as this currently is, like LaMelo Ball is probably one of the few things, probably brought more joy to Charlotte Hornets fans than than many other things like in the world, like outside of just basketball, LaMelo Joy brought joy and that has been taken from us. And that's hard to deal with. That was my immediate thought when I read that was like all of the articles that people have written about the Hornets and like all of the videos people have made about how fun they are, all the podcast episodes that have been focusing on the Charlotte Hornets for the first time in their basically their existence as a franchise, mostly because of LaMelo and the way that he plays and how good he has been. Like he has just completely lifted this franchise from basically irrelevance to you know, becoming one of the best young teams in the league. And in very, very typical Charlotte fashion, that is taken away. <laughs> it was, just, it hurt so badly when I read that he was going to be, at, I, when it was just like the first or, or sh- tweet came from Shams, I believe. And he just said that it was a fractured wrist. I was like, okay, that's obviously really bad, but like, it doesn't say how long, or I don't know how long per se. And then Woj tweeted probably 10 minutes later that, it's expected to be the entire season and that he's going to go see a hand specialist in New York soon to get a second opinion, but that either way, he's still going to be out indefinitely is what the Hornets PR account called it. So yeah, not a good night, not a good night. And I also that about 10 minutes before or before or after, I don't remember that happened. Texas tech lost in the tournament ruined my bracket. Cause I had them on the final four. And then a few hours later, Oklahoma State lost, and if they had won, I bet the bet them on a money line in the parlay. I would have won like almost three hundred dollars if they had won that game. Oh but instead, God. they lost to twelve seed Oregon State, who was like barely over five hundred in Pac twelve play. So, I was glad to 
go to bed last night and call it an evening and move on to a new week because well, my, I was I was just trying to go to bed as I saw the news and I just lay there thinking and I, my girlfriend even said like are you not asleep yet I'm like I can't sleep because I'm just thinking about the mother ball like it's okay so it sucks so bad oh my god it's just like it also and i don't really know at first i was like i was just more upset just that he was like playing because what he how it originally happened was on the broadcast they showed him falling i don't know what the like what time it was how much time was left in the game but it showed him falling over and like breaking his fall on a layup with his right hand and he immediately like grabs his like hand like thumb area where your thumb meets your wrist and it's like ow like looking at it like grimacing he went out and played probably like eight to ten minutes in the second half with a taped wrist and was making passes like exclusively with his left hand was shooting a a i think he took like two left-handed layups and really wasn't doing anything with his right hand unless it was a jump shot and i think he only made like one jumper in that time i don't know if it could have like gotten worse in that time but now that it's like that he has a fractured wrist. It definitely looks worse just generally for the Hornets organization that he continued playing after that. I have no idea if it like got worse. Like if he broke it on that play, like I'm not a doctor. I'm, I don't know. I'm almost certain he broke it on that play. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know if it look, can get worse after you've that. Got to, you've got to give a certain amount of credibility to the player here, right? You can't have a real time X-ray in the game. Yeah. If the player says, yeah, I'm good to go back in the game. You, you put the player back in the game. Like, unless it's unless it's a head injury where, like, players can't always make the right decision maybe because they might be right. concussed or something. Like, at that point, the, the decision's taken out of the player's hand. Hand injury, look, like, it, it's the player's decision. Um, I have no problem with Rego putting him back in the game. Uh, if he said he was good to go, he was good to go. It, it was interesting that the Charlotte Hornets listed him as probable for the next game. Yeah, that's what it was confusing court. me. Which, which suggests to me, and this is, I'm, I'm partly wondering, this second opinion that he's trying to seek is maybe because he feels he can play or he feels it's not as bad as like maybe the x-ray said and they want to get a second opinion or, you know. So I, I wonder, I just wonder like if in real time, like he feels like I can actually still play through this, but he has doctors telling him no. Because um, it's strange to list someone as probable when they've got a fractured wrist. Um, yeah. And that comes out like an hour or two later. Um, yeah. So it's, it was a strange one, how it played out. I don't, I don't have, have any issue with how the Hornets handled it whatsoever. I think that every other team would have handled it the same way. Um, my, my mind immediately flashed through like, oh, like again, like worst case scenario, Lamelo, like he's, it's his right hand. So it's going to stop him shooting jump shots for however long you'd imagine. So, like, is Lamelo going to come back with, like, a new hitch or a new, like, form in his jump shot and he's not going to be able to shoot next year? And what if it becomes a, a wrist injury that, that never goes away and always lingers and his shoot, you know, all of a sudden he just becomes, like, a Markel Fultz who can't shoot anymore? Like, all these things have just, like, raced through my head last night. And, like, I'm just scared of what could happen. And, like, I even raced through my head, like, are the Hornets now going to like panic trade for Victor Oladipo to be like a guard? Because Devontae Graham is oh, the only God. guard on the roster right now. Like all these things oh, just running no. through my head, Chase. Yeah, don't don't put that in my head. I hadn't thought of that, but that's that that would be wow. That, see, I was thinking that this might motivate them to just be like, okay, we're not. If we do make the playoffs, we're definitely not winning 
anything will win a game at most. Uh, maybe that th- this will push them to acquire some future assets to like build around LaMelo for next season and just kind of be like, all right, this year is just whatever. We'll evaluate the guys that are on the floor, but with win or lose doesn't really impact our franchise long-term. I oh God, Victor Oladipo would uh, for a playoff push would hurt my soul. That would, yeah, that would not be signing. So you're, you're no. renting <laughs> Oh yeah, that, that would be, yeah, exactly. That you're would renting be renting effectively. Aren't that you? would be a soul crushing trade after be, uh, and such a knee jerk reaction too. But I don't, I don't, I hope, I hope that that's not, not going to happen. I have faith at least, but I think the trade deadline is, it was already interesting for the Hornets, but it's, it's gotten both more interesting and less interesting now because I think they're less likely to make a move just generally now because their two most tradable players are their two they're best all just handlers. They're all depressed like we are. Yeah, yeah, week. right. And yeah, Mitch, Mitch Kupchak's not picking up his phone. He's sitting there reading the newspaper trying to think about other thoughts. Like, yeah, this is I, didn't blame, not... I didn't blame him. I'd do the same no. thing as Mitch Yeah, I wouldn't either. I would just be like, I, like, I can't I, – because the most popular trade options for – building for the future we're getting rid of Devonte or malik for like a future first or a young player but that's not really an option anymore because they're their two oh. best ball handlers like yeah. they're like Devonte's the starting point guard malik's the backup point guard basically and then they have grant I, I i do wonder if they'll play cody martin back at point guard because i think that yeah the they've been doing that in garbage time like so i think yeah. that maybe borrego will be like i could do this for four to five minutes in the second or third quarter if i really have to now and I also think it'll be interesting to see who carves out a rotation spot between like, I guess one of the Martin twins or both of them will probably be in the rotation for the night or for tonight's game against. He might be fully Martinized chase. And yeah. We're, we will be. <laughs> no, it, it, it hasn't been for the most part this year, but we'll see if they get to turn it around a little bit with a little bit of weight, weight off of their shoulders in terms of uh, playmaker responsibility. But it'll be cool to see who steps up between like Grant Riller, Jalen McDaniels and, uh, Carrie and Richards because there's like 28 to 33 minutes a game that are basically open right now. And that's not all going to be filled by one player. And they are Hornets already needed size. And now that the, all those minutes are open, it, it's kind of a like if they, if Vernon Carey and Nick Richards don't get on the floor at some point in the next few games, that's probably not a good sign for the development of either one of them, because this is a pretty dire situation minus your best player and already down with like the worst center rotation in the NBA. They're not getting in the rotation. I'm telling yeah, you. I don't, I don't think that they will be like, like permanent members or like play like 14 to 20 minutes a game. But if they don't see some time over the next few games, I would be, that would not be good. I don't think. I, I don't think, I, I think, I think basically the team will continue pushing forward for at least for the next 10, 15 games with the new rotation not prioritizing you like you know playing guys for the sake of playing guys mm-hmm. until like they are out of the playoff hopes or they're locked into a certain playoff spot. I, I don't I, I don't see much changing in terms of like, the goals for the team um, going forward. I mean, my big concern is the rebound. We get so much smaller as soon as you lose like Lamelo because yeah. before he was starting, we were like the worst offensive rebounding team in the league, and we've been like top eight over the last like month, month and a half. And now we lose the mellow. And those I tell you what, those rebounding concerns we had early in the season against all those teams of bigs, they're going to come back, especially if Zeller's out. They're going to come back with a vengeance. So 
Chase, things got so bad so quickly. I mean, we're eighth in the East right now at 20 and 21. With this news, I see the Pacers overtaking us, the Bulls yep, probably overtaking sure. us, the Raptors probably overtaking us. I know they lost eight in a row, but I still think they can overtake us. We could be down in that Cavs-Wizards territory. Um, yeah, and like the Hornets over, which I think was 25 and a half, 26 and a half, which I bet. I'm now very concerned. I'm um, only need to win like six more games, but I, I, I don't know, man. And maybe we're overreacting. This team had Devontae and Terry last year, and they played well. That's true. Yeah. It, it feels this feels right now like it's like just wake me up for training camp next year. That's that's how it feels right now, and that's how it must feel for a lot of the Hornets front office staff as well. Yeah, and like I, I and I, you're right about that we might be a little overreacting a little bit. I have faith that Devontae and Terry will still be good, but it's just last year that team was the eighth they got the eighth worst record and the, I think like the fourth worst point differential in the NBA. And then you add Gordon Hayward to that who, you know, he's very good, but he hasn't been really that good at all since the, the all he came back from the All-Star break and especially over the last probably 15 to 20 games that the Hornets have played, he hasn't Nope. And he hasn't he hasn't been even close to the best player on the team so i mean you know i guess this will be a nice a nice segue into our march madness episode that we recorded yesterday but where do you expect them to be picking at the in the draft at the end of the year because now i mean that's that's we hornets fans are right back into the draft and uh, looking at the tankathon every day because we don't have much to look forward to for this season anymore there are four teams I feel confident we will finish above, which are like Detroit, the Magic, the Rockets, and the Timberwolves. I feel like we've got a big enough cushion that they're not going to catch us. After that, we I mean, we could be. I can see a world where we're fifth or sixth, especially if like Zeller's out, depending how like injuries go for, for other guys. They were like Terry had a hip thing the other day. Depending how this goes, this, this deck of cards could fall apart quickly, Chase. Um, oh yeah which long-term development like let's say we end up with the sixth seventh worst record and jump into the top five long term this could be a good thing right true very true But right now it's just impossible to to look at that and feel positive about it going forward yeah and it it doesn't feel good you know the hornets were really fun to watch they're the best hornets team that they've had in a while yeah and Literally at the the snap of a finger, just on a on a Sunday evening, while all of us were enjoying uh, we're enjoying some some nice March Madness basketball, having a dinner with our loved ones, and then all of a sudden the world comes crashing down and our lives are over. Not really, but for I, I actually stopped watching March Madness yesterday when I found out. I, I, I definitely wasn't paying attention. I had it on in the background, but I was just sitting. I just couldn't enjoy basketball. All of a sudden, I just wanted. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, I just need to get off. I just need to not think about this because, and then I was like, well, I know we did record a whole section about the trade deadline for the podcast, but we should probably redo that, which is what we're doing today. So that's just going to be half an hour of podcast uh, listenership that people are never going to hear. But we, we, you know, it's the right thing to do. We are mourning with you Hornets fans. If you're listening to this, feeling the same pain, you are not alone. It, it, it reminds me of... Um, a little bit like looking back, there was a year where MKG, I think, broke or dislocated his shoulder or broke his shoulder, like in a preseason game, one of the first games of the season. 
There's another game where I think Nick Batum, like, again, what I'm saying, like first or second game of the season, like got like Tommy John surgery on his elbow and like he was out for a huge period. And that was right at the start of the year. And like the same feeling I had of like, well, now what's the point? Like our season, that person is such a big part of our team. This season is now basically over. But like with Lamelo, he's not just a big part of this team. He's like the future of this franchise. And it's just such, such unbelievably bad luck. And it was all it is. It's luck. It's how he fell. It's how he fell in his arm. And yeah, the, yeah. The staff need to work with him on, on how he goes to the rim. And when he goes to the rim, because he has had a few kind of, he throws himself up in the air. with like He falls a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's something he needs to work on. But that's so hard to take away from him because he needs that for his burst uh, and to gain separation. So, ugh. I don't know, Chase. Maybe, maybe the next part we can try and find some positives from the Lamelo, the Lamelo injury. Maybe by next weekend we can decompress a little bit and we 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 can see some positive things. I mean, the other bad news with this is Devonte Gray and Malik Monk. Their playing time is going to go up, but probably with their production, as up is also going to go their salary this offseason. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was thinking too. They basically have to extend them now. Yeah, because um, if, if you don't. Like if you don't trade them in the next two days, which you basically can't do unless you're going to tell your entire team you don't care about winning for the rest of the year, which you don't want to do. And then if you don't re-sign them, you lost them for nothing and you have no backup point guard for the next year. And the price so. will get driven up because Devontae is going to be playing 30 minutes a night. And yep. <sighs> I think his counting stats will go up and he'll be more on the radar for teams. Yeah. The worst so, timing. The worst timing ever. So hornets, so sad, not good. Ah, oh, man. I don't really have anything else left to say. Uh, yeah, I think I think we're good. Yeah. Well, the the second half of this show was recorded on Sunday, right before or during the early March Madness game. So it's going to be a pretty quick tone shift because we recorded that in a time of ignorance when we were we were still innocent. Uh, one day younger Hornets fans and had no idea that LaMelo Ball was going to be gone for the next eight months. But thank you all for tuning in and we will see you after the ad break with our guest Dylan Jackson to talk about some March Madness and the NBA prospects participating in the tournament. Okay, we'll see you in the morning. And welcome back to the second half of the At The Hive Live podcast. Here we are joined by Dylan Jackson of Dunking With Wolves and a former At The Hive writer, but most importantly, the king of Hornets Twitter. How are you doing today, Dylan? I'm doing great. Doing great. Uh, you know, last two days spent about 20 hours in my room just watching college basketball. I'm sure most people are, are like that. But, um, you know, I've, I've really been enjoying the tournament so far. How are you guys doing? I've been great. I've, I've been enjoying the tournament too. 12, uh, back to back 12 hour days of basketball. So definitely nothing to complain about. So the favorite prospects in the tournament, there are definitely a lot of them that I would have to choose from. I like a good portion of this 2021 draft class. It's well known for being a, a overall better than the 2020 class and certainly better at the top with the quality of players that are going to be picked in the high end of the lottery. But is there anybody that has stood out so far in the tournament to you guys? Maybe that you didn't see coming beforehand. You didn't expect yourself to like this guy after watching 
tournament games or even going in someone that you really anticipated liking and you think that they're going to end up being either underdrafted or someone that you're just very confident that they'll be a long-term NBA player. What about you, Dylan? You know, Ayo Desunmu, I think, is a guy that I've, I've been high on him for a couple of years now, but I think that he's really solidified himself as somebody that could possibly go in the lottery at this point. Um, you know, he's he's kind of that tall, lengthy point guard type, you know, really, really good score. His consistency really worries me. Um, but, I mean, he and Kofi Cockburn for Illinois, it's just that's probably the best two-man game in the tournament as of right now. But I think he's a pretty decent defender as well. Um, looking forward to, like, where he could be selected. I think that 10 to 20 range, you know, right where the Hornets are. I'm not sure if we'll actually take him because we've got so many guards already. But I think he's certainly a guy to look out for, say, you know, if we offload, you know, one or two of the guys currently. Yeah, I, I like Iowa as well. He is a very sound, just perimeter defender, like not even like against guards. Like he can defend any like he can defend wings on the perimeter as well. He's super strong. He's like the on, on offensively, he has the ideal like combo guard passing skill and scoring combination. Like he's not going to he's going to defer if he has to, but if there's a time where he needs to just drive to the rim and try and make something happen, he can do that as well. Is there anybody that uh, you like so far, James? Yeah. um, Max Acemus or however you say his name. I totally did not expect that to be how you pronounce his name when they said that. I I, I don't know. Someone give me a score out of 10 for that. I think it's Acemus, but um, yeah, the the Oral Roberts guard, I think that was probably like my, as I mentioned before, like favorite game of the tournament so far. And like, I, I, I'll be honest, I did not know much about him going to the tournament. They weren't high on my uh, watch list for NBA draft rankings going into the season. And when, when I heard about him, I was like, oh, he's probably going to be like a senior guard. He's been around for years. And I look up and he's like a sophomore. And I'm like, oh, hello. And he's like, is he like leading the NCAA in scoring? Like 24 and a half points a game. Like kind of like a Dennis Schroeder type body for me. And he's like scoring it well from the, from the outside. Um, I was watching that game. They just could not stay in front of him. Like, he was just getting past his defender and making the defense collapse whenever he wanted. And um, I was I was pretty impressed with him. Um, I think he'll – I think Mike Schmidt said, like, before the tournament, he's a guy who can kind of put himself on radars of NBA teams now, um, depending how the tournament goes. But, I mean, depending how the next round goes, he could be someone who maybe wasn't really on draft boards to now being, like, firmly a second-round pick and, and might not even come back for his junior season. So, yeah, he, he really stood out to me on a, a relative unknown. It was pretty cool watching an Oral Roberts game and being like, oh, they have two guys on this team that are definitely pros. I did not. I, I didn't expect it. I knew yeah. who I, I my my brain says Abmus every time, but I need to say Acemus because I've never said it out loud until like yesterday. But I knew who Acemus was like earlier on in the season, but I definitely hadn't watched him. I'm I'm sure I'm not the only person that hadn't watched an Oral Roberts game until yesterday, but I mean, yeah, he's like, if, if even just off of that one game, I would be surprised if he declared and didn't get like a second round pick or like a two way or something like that. If he, yeah. if they can play more games and he continues to play well, he's probably just going to lock himself into being drafted. He does have, he has the pro body type speed, like athleticism, like the handle package, like he has that, it like the base level. He just needs to probably improve on it quite a bit at the NBA level to succeed, but it's there. Like it, it's definitely there. Yeah. And you know that he's like the first name on every scouting report. For oh yeah. 
And he's shooting like 44% from three, 89% from the free throw line. And he's getting to the line five times a game, eight and a half attempts from, from three per game. So like he's getting there good. He's got like good steal numbers as well. Like he's got good anticipation, good speed. So he's not just kind of like a, a scorer. He's like a really efficient sh- shooter as well. Like, he, yeah, so. he, he reminds me a little bit of Grant Riller a little bit coming out last year. Just oh, his yeah. whole offensive package, you know, really, really talented in that respect. And yeah, they're definitely pretty similar in size as well. And their their role is probably about the same. I mean, he has uh, Kevin O'Banner, who's the other potential NBA prospect on Oral Roberts. He's a very good, like, inside-out stretch big that can – shoot the ball and also go down low and throw himself around a little bit. They like that, that they, these guys have been very fun to watch so far. I very much hope that they can beat uh, Florida in their second round matchup. Mostly because I picked Virginia tech in that game or against uh, Florida in the first round, but it would, it would be cool to see them carry the, uh, the Cinderella torch through March madness this year. Cause they would, that would do a lot for uh, Max Asmus and Kevin O'Banner as pro prospects. Yeah, and that, that matchup with Trey Mann in the next round as well for Florida, like that should be one that a lot of scouts are gonna gonna be watching. So it should be interesting. Yeah, and I know we got another Trey Mann fan here and Dylan. What do you like about him oh, yeah. so far in the so far? Yeah, I, I think that I think his passing is a lot better than his numbers show, you know. I think that his decision making has really, really improved over the second half of the season, especially, you know, without Keontae Johnson down there in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um his scoring, like he's like, I don't know if you watched the Virginia Tech game, but he had one shot with about a minute left and it, it just iced the game. He's just, he's so, so talented. Uh, very, very good athlete, good shooter, just really good. I think he's going to be a spark plug point guard at the NBA level. Uh, somebody that can, you know, come off the bench and just give you buckets. Yeah, he's got, I didn't notice this, or I, I noticed it while I was watching, but I didn't know his exact height until I looked it up. I, he, at 6'5, 190. He's got really good size. Like, I thought he was more of like a six three when I or before I looked it up. But I mean, I, if he at, measures in at six five and shoes at the combine, like, like I, I find it hard that to see him not being picked in the first round, shooting over forty percent from three, shooting forty nine percent in two from two point shots, six rebounds, three assists, like positive assist to turnover ratio, and like you said, it like looks bad because he does average a, a significant amount of turnovers, but he's like he's made he's attempting to make reads and he is sees things and is trying to make things happen which is like a step up from a lot of guys that just can't even do that and like don't have the bat like the processing ability to like make passing reads on the fly like that even if it ends up in a turnover so i i, I like him a lot as well i hadn't watched him really that much this season I, i'm not i haven't watched a bunch of florida but I definitely want to, I'm going to have to go back and look at some games from him from like the, from the regular season. Cause he's a very interesting prospect. I don't know how he would fit with the Hornets again. Cause they're what I've also realized in this draft process, a lot of the players that are going to be available from like, like 13 to 20, which is probably where the Hornets will be are like guards or centers. So they, we don't need any point guards and theoretically we don't need centers cause we just drafted two of them, but I don't know how, if that's going to, end up working out very well is there anybody that lands in that area for you guys that you think the hornets should like really go after i he he most certainly won't be available but even if he's available you know via trade like if you could go up and get him i would really really think that moses moody is like the perfect fit of anybody in this draft you know because he's 
he's a guy that has solid offense, solid defense, really good decision-making. Um, his scoring numbers are really good. Not the most athletic scorer, but he doesn't really need to be with what the Hornets <coughs> have on their roster. Um, just getting another two, three wing like that, that's solid on both ends. Like the Hornets don't really have any two-way players other than like Gordon Hayward. So getting a, a nice, solid young wing, I don't really think he's going to be a bust either. He's one of those guys that's really, really high floor. Yeah, they and like I've I've said this before, but they, I think that they almost need like another wing to kind of take away those like Martin twin minutes. Not that those they're bad, but like you need more than energy a lot of the time from that like that guy if you're going to be a playoff team. And Moses Moody is going to he's going to be able to go out there and knock down shots at a much higher clip than a Martin twin would perhaps. So I, I think that getting that uh, the extra wing piece or extra depth piece on the wing would be huge. But yeah, right now tankathon has him at 12 to the Pacers. The Hornets are 15th. I could like, I, I don't know what it necessarily it would take to move up. Like probably, probably they might have to move up a little more than three spots if they wanted to get Moses Moody. But I, if that, if that's something that they were focused on, I would not, argue with it at all like because that, that he he is the perfect size he can defend he can switch across multiple positions he can play next to Lamelo like super easily and that's that's really what they got to go for just pick guys that can play next to Lamelo, and eventually everything should end up looking I, all right I think, I think the idea of moving up in this draft is particularly interesting because the hornets have a large number of young talents on this roster now like there is a lot of young players. I think last time we had 10 players on rookie scale contracts out of 15 roster spots. So they didn't really need, I, I can't see a world where they come into next season with like adding both a first and like another second round pick or two again next year. It's just not going to happen. So I think this really could be the draft where they try and like consolidate some assets. Um, I mean, I was trying to do some research for an article recently looking at examples where like teams have traded, you know, two or three young pieces for one guy. Uh, like not not draft picks, but just like for, for like a good level starter or a low level all star, just doesn't happen. You don't get those like three for one trades. Uh, I couldn't really find any examples. The best one actually is the James Harden one with Brooklyn, where they yeah. traded you know the Jarrett Allen, Karis Levert, all those guys, and ended up getting Harden. Um, but in the draft, I think you could potentially see it. You know, if you package Bridges plus a pick, you know, to, you won't be able to trade the Graham and Monk because they're restricted free agents. But I, I think that could be the time when they maybe try and consolidate some assets and go over like a, a kind of core piece that they've used to be part of that development going up. And it's probably not going to get you into the top five, not in this draft. But if there's a guy in that like six to 12 range who you feel really good about, whether it's, you know, James Bucknight, Scotty Barnes, or Keon Johnson, uh, a Moses Moody, then I think this is the draft where I'd be okay to do it because we are not going to be able to pay all these guys and we need to get some core pieces next to Lamelo, and they'd fit that timeline well. I think it kind of reminds me of in 20, I think it was 2019, or actually it was 2020, when the Timberwolves traded Dario Saric and their 11th pick for Jarrett Culver uh, when they moved up. And yeah. again, that hasn't, that hasn't exactly worked out. Um, Culver still young though, still still a pretty decent prospect. But I think if you could could you know get a top you know six to six to eight pick, I think you might have to do it, especially with just how talented this draft class is. I mean, there's so many wings and forwards in that you know that lottery range that are just so good, and you almost know that they're going to be pretty solid NBA players. Yeah, that's the appeal of this 
lottery to me is like obviously the high end talent like Cade and Mobley and Green and Kaminga and Suggs. Like those guys are they're more perennial or potential perennial all stars at the top. But even as you go down the lottery, those guys are like very unlikely to bust out of the league. Like like Moody, Jaden Springer, Franz Wagner, like they're and Corey Kisper is another one. Like there are just so many guys that just have the right mix of like uh, for one just shooting and defense. Like all, pretty much all of them can shoot and defend, which is really the by far the two most important skills for a wing in the NBA right now. Uh, they're all so, like at least solid playmakers. Like they're the depth of high level talent in this draft goes down way farther than it did last year and really goes a lot farther than, than most years. I mean, there are people, you, when you, once you get down into the second round, it's basically the same as all the other years. And the, the whole thing about the 2021 draft class being loaded doesn't really apply anymore, but up at top, like I, I agree with you guys that this might be the year to be like, you can take our, 15th pick and we'll move up to 11 and you can take our 2022 like top five protected pick or something just to add somebody with like a little bit higher ceiling or the like that's a little bit better of a fit next to Lamelo and I guess PJ and Devante Malik and all them too because there will be there will come a time where the only method you have basically is to improve your team via draft picks and like you don't want that to be the, your only option like you can't when when Lamelo's 22 and Gordon Hayward's like on the last year of his contract you don't really want to be relying on on rookies then you want to have guys that have already had a couple years under their belt that are like really rolling into their prime at that point can, can I, I, I ask a, a question real quick yeah what what would either of you give to say get into that top five like what's the most you would be willing to give <sighs> in order to get one of those top five players, because those, those top five players, I think would probably all have been the first overall pick in 2020. Um, I'd, give up, I'd give up quite a lot is my answer. Uh, yeah, I think I would too. To get someone on a cost controlled contract with that sort of ceiling. And like, the good thing is they could all play with the mellow. Like, honestly, um, I'd be giving up PJ plus first round pick Plus, like, Devontae Gray, like, whoever you want, really. Like, tell us what you want and let's go from there. <laughs> yeah. We, we know it's – this Hornets team is is nice and it's great that they're having a positive season, but we're talking about all-star caliber potential players there. And outside of LaMelo, I don't know if we have an all-star caliber player on the roster right now in terms of, like, a, on a rookie-scale contract. And those guys instantly, I think, would come to. So I, I'd, I'd be putting a lot on the table, but – I, I just don't see why those teams would be trading out those out of those positions because all those teams up there, you think, oh, they need they need someone, whether it's Orlando, Cleveland, Houston, Detroit, Minnesota. Like Minnesota is the only one, but I mean, even they need them. So. Yeah, I would probably like, especially if they were like, if the number two pick, just to be like, we're moving up for Evan Mobley. Oh please! I, I also would. Pro- yeah, that would. I would probably give up like maybe two picks and then their choice between miles and PJ, like whichever they prefer, which would, which, that would probably hurt my soul quite a bit because I like miles and PJ a lot. Uh, not only just like as basketball, but I just like rooting for them, but like an Evan Mobley LaMelo combo went, and still having like one of miles and PJ and then Hayward Rozier. And then uh, they're basically either Monk or Graham. That team is like 
maybe not next season they're like really good but when Mobley has a little bit of a like more time under his belt like that team that's that's like a legitimate eastern conference finals contender in like three years if you ask me just just off the strength of them too if you fill in with like rotation players after that you're pretty much good like Mobley like looking at past young cores that people thought were promising um Mobley and Lamella would probably be like the most highly regarded since probably second year Wiggins and uh, Carl Anthony Towns, right? Like, yeah, pro- yeah, probably. Yeah. Cause that'd be two I mean, top three people, picks in two years. Yeah. People really, really liked Andrew Wiggins after his, his rookie year. I remember that. And ha- adding the first overall pick to that. I mean, Lamello is, I, I think we can all agree. He's probably a future all-star. Uh, maybe possibly even more than that and getting you know a center that's obviously a a perfect fit for what we already have but a lob threat and somebody that can space the floor just that would be that would be something else that would be special passing like Mobley is yeah oh yeah I love his passing and like having your two best players being such like good passers of the ball who enjoy getting their teammates involved you don't often you don't often get that a lot of the time your best players they want to be taking that shot um, it, that that team would be that would be team would be scary good, um, yeah. And you'd have, I mean, Mobley. I don't think he's even twenty yet. Like you'd have two guys that are pretty much the same age for under team control for a rookie contract for four years. You'd have you'd have so much cap space to fill in role players around them before they're even being signed to like long term max contracts or anything like that they yeah if they i mean i would i would endorse pretty much any draft pick combination besides like like actually mortgaging your future like milwaukee did or something for drew holiday like if they're only giving yeah if they're only gonna be giving up two picks like go for it absolutely the question is i don't know if mitch kupchak is going to be in the i don't know if this team will trade future picks because ever since the tyrus thomas trade right it burned MJ. That Tyrus Thomas trade, giving a first-round pick for him and then paying him just to double down on the error. Um, and we, we haven't traded a, a future first since. And with the player development mantra, which Boregra's brought and his team has brought, I do. Th- I, I was hearing, I think, Bobby Marks talk the other day. There's, there's now basically two types of teams. There are teams that will, like, will get their players through trades and free agencies, and those are the destinations that we can all list. And then those teams that know they have to build through the draft. Um, and again, like savvy trades, but mainly focusing on the draft, the Memphis, OKC, Charlotte. And I wonder if Mitch Kupchak is kind of like really adjusted from being in his time in LA when he was had probably a different approach being GM there and has realized actually here to what works in Charlotte is we need to do play development. And is there is there a world in which we should be trading away first round picks when we're not going to get there as in free agency? I don't know the answer to that question, but I do think the the team will be less willing to do that now, uh, maybe than in, in the past. Even though the kind of like, like the timing of the roster and how things look to be going, it might seem like the right time. Yeah, now that Mitch has drafted so many good players too, I think he like that he probably might have more trust in himself, I guess, rather than he would trading it away and relying on the whims of like free agents coming to Charlotte. And they're like, there's just the whole thing with like small market teams can't build unless you have your draft picks, which is, it's pretty, it's really like true. Like, because big market teams, all that they ever do is just trade them away for role players 
but if you're a small market team, you're likely not going to be able to re-sign the people that you're trading these picks for. So you basically just have to keep them and hope you can like home grow the guy to re-sign his rookie scale extension and just play for your team for the first seven or eight years of his career. So it, it, there, there's that, that whole like philosophical side of it. I could definitely like, I, I would bet like a lot of money on it that they would never do that just because they have, they have to think about the future in Charlotte because you can't plan on people coming there. So I, I, I could, I would definitely do it myself, but I, I don't think that Mitch would just for basically every reason that you said. And that's what makes me think they're more likely to give up like PJ plus their first this year or yeah. Miles plus their first because you're then you're still retaining those draft picks for further down the line. And if we are just uh, keep, keep things rolling here, if we're to had to just take a, a guess at which prospects all right, well, obviously we're, we're very early on in the process at which prosper prospects in that the Hornets range, which is 15 right now, they have the 15th pick in the draft, according to tankathon, I'd imagine it ends fairly similarly to a 15th at the end of the season, if not exactly at 15th staying in the, I think they're eighth in the East right now, but is there anybody that you guys think that they should be looking at right now in terms of who would be available in that range for like guys that might fit really well in Charlotte or someone that could be like a good, good upside swing that could pay off in two or three years when Lamella's in his prime? I mean, at this point, um, there's not many wings to look at really uh, this in this sort of range, you know, maybe Springer is there. Um, he, he's a really, really interesting option from Tennessee. I don't think he'll be there is the thing. I think he's probably going to go late lottery. Um, I really, really like Kai Jones. I really like him um, getting, getting somebody that can run in transition. Uh, he can hit the occasional three point shot defense. Um, in all honesty, it's just probably not where it should be for his, for his length and his size. Uh, but, but getting somebody like that that can play next to next to PJ, next to Miles, I think that would be really fun. And especially next to Lamelo, you know, getting getting Kai Jones, somebody, just just a modern offensive big, um, in in the current Hornets offense, I think that would be be pretty fun. Yeah, I'm a big Jones guy too. His like combination of dribbling, passing, and shooting at I, I'm, he's, I think he's six eleven, but I really would not be surprised if he comes in at like six eleven and a half or seven feet when he measures in at the combine because he just he looks significantly taller than everybody he's playing against. He's only two hundred and eighteen pounds, and like you said, his defense is like not very good outside from just like the occasional like just absolutely crushing a block from the weak side. But you know we see bad defenders make plays like that pretty often, so he that needs to get like way better, but. The basic tools, certainly there, especially on offense. And right now this team seems to be very offensively focused anyway. So I, 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 if he's available in that range, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Hornets took him. But the only thing is like at that point, taking centers is like, what are we doing with Nick and Vernon? Because you're probably like, you still probably have to sign a veteran, whether that's keeping Cody or getting like Rashawn Holmes or some, some veteran center in free agency next year. Because rolling with uh, three like sub twenty one year old centers as your like rotation, probably not a good path for playoff success. So uh, they they would basically have four centers on the roster, and three of them would have been drafted in the last two seasons and haven't played in the NBA. And yeah, three. yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. We can we can trade at least one to Detroit, right? They always want bigs. Like, yeah, that's true. They'll take they'll take somebody. 
Yeah, they got Julia. They have the older version of Vernon and Julia Okafor. So we we could just pair them together, and then they can combine their powers, and they'll they'll end up being a rotation player. It'd be, that actually might work out pretty well if we did that. We got to call get Troy Weaver on the phone. That guy likes I mean, to make deals anyway. In all honesty, I'm like 100% honest. I I don't really think that either of those guys are long-term NBA players. I wasn't really high on either of them going into the draft, and especially not now. I mean, they they looked good in the G League. They looked really good, especially Vernon. uh, That first stretch of games, he averaged like 20 and 10. But, I mean, he's still not showing the things that we need him to to show. Like his defense, it's just – for a player of his size, he can't switch. He's just – he's not as good of a rim protector as he should be. Um, he gets beaten space fairly often. I'm a little bit higher on Nick Richards just because of the athleticism, but at the same time, he's also three years older than Vernon Carey. So it's – I don't know. I'm, I'm not high on either of those guys. Yeah, that's true. I guess neither of them are preventing you from drafting somebody. Like, neither they haven't shown enough for that. What do, what do you think about that, James? Would you take – I mean, it doesn't even have to be Kai Jones, just any center-ish player? At, my my philosophy in a draft is just never, ever draft for need. Like, unless you are the current LA Lakers and you've got a pick, like, and you have a hole. Like, for me, I, I don't care how many point guards, forwards, bigs you got. You take the guy who's got the one – whoever's got the best percentage chance to pop to be uh, an all-star. Because like, like we talked about before, that is the way this Hornets franchise is going to change its fate. It's by finding a Nikola Jokic, all right? It's not by drafting just like another solid role player who could cut play and help you straight away. So for me, I honestly, I just throw positions out the window. Now, if you then go into the season, you've got five centers on the roster. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to have to move some guys, okay? But I'd much rather move some of the guys you've had in your program who know who, you know, you, you might have an inkling like these guys are just not going to cut it or they're only ever going to, you know, max out as like an eighth man off the bench. I'd much rather move those guys for like a second round pick or a late second than, than kind of, you know, waste the opportunity to take someone just because of a positional need. And that's like, that's why I get so frustrated in mock drafts at times because everything is based around fit. And I just, I, I think a lot of the small market teams just should, you see so many mistakes every year. You look back and you're like, oh my God, they didn't draft a point guard because they had, you know, whatever it was, already had a guy there. And it's just some like middling average league NBA point guard in the end. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my take. You just take whoever you think has the highest chance to turn into a high-end starter or star caliber level, no matter at what point in the draft, as long as you've got a, an avenue to develop them. They can't just be buried on the bench because we know that's not going to help them, especially at the moment with the G League. It's not functioning in the same way. Um, you know, hopefully that's back up, up and running next year. But yeah, that's my personal take. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that philosophy. And a guy that I think is very likely to at least like um, like probably the closest to a lock among lottery players to just be a long term NBA role player, if not like low level starter is Corey Kispert. I don't know if he'll be available when the Hornets draft because, I mean, if he plays well in the tournament, he'll probably, his stock will go up. And he's generally just been like regarded as a top eight to 15 pick probably this season. But I think he is like, he's not, he's obviously not like a spectacular player, but he is just like about just the word good, just like fully and like every, he's just good. Like, there's nothing he's really bad at. He's a great shooter, good passer, not as bad of a defender as you would think, 
Uh, like he's not, his athleticism isn't going to harm him in the NBA. I don't think like he's just, he's the dude is just damn good at basketball. I don't, what do you guys think about him? I think that he's probably one of the best shooters to ever declare for the draft. Um, he reminds me a lot of Cam Johnson coming out in that regard. Just, just a pure shooting, you know, nothing else included. But I think that if you're the Hornets, um, he's, he would be a really good fit. I mean, you know, getting another shooter, of course, would, you, you're never going to say no to another shooter. Right. But that said, I mean, we just talked about it. Like we need high ceiling guys, right. Is, is that, is that the goal? So if, if that is what you want, if you want a high ceiling guy, Kispert probably isn't going to be that he's probably just going to max out at, you know, not maybe, maybe a high level starter, maybe like a Joe Harris kind of guy. Um, but I, I don't really see him being much more than that. Um, but I, I think that he, he's going to end up being a solid NBA player. Probably, I mean, you said, you just said it, probably the closest thing to a lock that you're going to get. Has there, has there ever been a better NBA draft comparison than Joe Harris? To- no, no, I was thinking that too. They're, they're, the hair is the exact same. Yeah. They, play they even the both exact wear same. headbands at times. <laughs> like, it is the most, it's just so easy. Like, how many, if you have to, like, have to drink every time you heard someone make that comparison, and I've done it because it is, it makes sense in so many reasons. It's just perfect there. It's teed up for you, isn't it? Yeah, like apart from them just being white and having like the long flowy hair, like they like they actually play like really, really similarly. Like it's it's kind of funny. I also I've been, I, I wanted to ask you guys this as well. When I was watching them play, I don't it wasn't a live game. I forget which which game, which team they're playing. I'm, I'm pissed that I'm blanking on it right now. But he oh, was BYU. It was the BYU game before they uh started the tournament but i sing like his playmaking is like pretty good for a guy that's not ever going to be asked to be a playmaker like i kind of think he has a little bit of that like nick batum like connector tissue in him like not you're not going to play him as an initiator you're not going to rely on him for anything because we saw what happens with that we he kind of played that role with the hornets for a little bit didn't work out but if like Corey kisper is just put in a role where it's like yeah, you just have to make the right read, which we know you can do, and you'll end up with an assist. Like, I think he's going to be pretty good at that. Like, he and he has that kind of like, just always knows what decision to make and quickly like type of thing to him. I, he's a he's a really interesting player. I, I'm I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, I, I love I love Kisper. If I was like a contending team, and you could trade up to get him, like like you know that would be. I mean, just think he he would play in this year's playoffs on so many teams. Yeah, yeah. Get, finals he would have a, a rotation he, he would be in the hornets rotation right now for like without a doubt like he'd probably be it'd be monk graham bridges and then where Kisper. do you guys have him on your boards so i've got him 10 on mine so i've got him just borderline top 10 he, i've seen him kind of from anywhere from like 8 to 16 something in that range i have yeah, 13 right now. okay yeah so we all yeah i'm surprised I'm, I'm the lowest then if i that i haven't him at 13 who do you guys have like around him like right or in that range, I guess, that you could yes. see overtaking. I've got Scotty, um, Sharif Cooper, Jared Butler, and Franz. Okay, yeah. See, I got Sharif, Moses Moody, and uh, Shangun, like right around him from 12 to 15. See, my 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 hottest take on the draft is I've got Shangun 6. <laughs> I, I don't I, – I like that. They, I, I, there are a lot of people that's that interesting. up there. I, I love I, – I, honestly, I, can't, I love watching that guy play basketball. I mean – I watched more of him probably of any prospect. And I have a bit of a, I seem to always have a blind spot for like these international guys. It happened with Sekou Dumboya. It happened with Killian Hayes. 
like every year there's like this mystery international guys and I'm, I'm like I just get taken in and I apparently don't learn from my mistakes because Alfred and Sengun like yeah all in absolutely love him love him what do you guys think of uh Usman Garuba the Spanish center I like him he'd be good like a uh, good like small ball guy if the Hornets are going to commit to that I would I could see them like looking into him just to be like a future backup like four or five I don't think he'll ever be like a starter in the NBA probably because he doesn't do enough on offense but he's a like I think he'll be like an elite defender someday if everything like yeah, he, that's what I think yeah, yeah he's, he's he's a really 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 solid defender can switch on everybody um the the thing that intrigues me about him though is that his three-point shooting as of late has gotten a lot better like he's hitting you know about a three-pointer game which is just like from a setter that plays really good defense that's pretty pretty nice to see you know yeah and it almost doesn't matter what percentage you're shooting because you're making one every game so like the team just has to guard you guard it like no matter what like you could shoot 25 percent, but if you're knocking one down every time like they they have to defend that and that that it's that's kind of like what Alexei Pokashevsky has not not as much now but when he was in the G League and played in um played with Olympiacos like they kind of just had to guard him even because because they knew he was going to chuck up a bunch of shots and sometimes they're just going to go in so I think leveraging that type of thing would would be good for Garuba as well I don't, what do you guys think about Franz Wagner I think he's like kind of similar to Kispert in the in terms of like role that they'll play in the NBA and like their floor and ceiling but he's like, he's a little different to me in that he's much more of like a passer. Like he's much better, much more suited to be like a secondary or tertiary ball handler. He can grab the ball off of a rebound and like push the pace and make a decision in transition. He's also a very good shooter too. And he's Mo Wagner's younger brother. So that that's an an interesting connection that they could have. We could just collect everybody's brother and just put them all on the Hornets. So do do you guys like him? Being Mo Wagner's brother helps his draft stock or hurts it? Um, (laughs) <laughs> probably not it definitely doesn't help i don't think yeah. <laughs> i don't know if it would hurt but i'm sure it doesn't doesn't help him yeah um, i think that he's he's just really a really smooth player you know he plays exactly how his name sounds in a way uh, <laughs> that's so true yeah <laughs> i mean he's he's a pretty solid defender uh he's not going to give you much to worry about on that end but i mean he can shoot really good mid-range player Reminds me a little bit offensively of Gordon Hayward in a way. Um, he's just, he's not overly athletic, but he doesn't really need to be with what he's good at. So I think he's a, a solid lottery player. If the Hornets end up with either him or Kispert, like that's like a grand slam first round for me. Just get that wing to play like bench minutes. And then you don't have to sign that guy and probably pay more money than you would have. Cause wings cost a lot of money, especially if you want them to live in, North Carolina as opposed to Miami. So that, that would be uh, Wagner would be another one that I would really like for the Hornets. What like, or go ahead, Dylan. Are you, are you guys high on the two Baylor guards like later in the first round, uh, Jared Butler and Davian Mitchell? I think Davian Mitchell is my favorite player to watch in the draft. Um, I'm, I'm pretty high on him. Ivan is like a borderline lottery pick really. Um, I think I got 15 right now. It doesn't look, I normally like someone who's that old and is a senior and is transferred. There's normally a few red flags there and I'm not normally huge in those guys, but like my, my brain is telling me one thing, but then I watch this guy play and I just love watching him play defense. He can run a team. 
He's a great shooter. He looks like a great teammate. Like, I just think he's he's got that role, uh, you know, a Patrick Beverly type. Is that there's another probably overused comp you get there, uh, but like he just he just fits it so well. I I th- I really like David Mitchell. I think he'll go. I think he'll get underdrafted just because of his age, and it's as simple as that. But if they, if they make a deep run and he can put up good numbers in the tournament, but he's he's 100% an NBA player. My, my main concern, he was like two or three inches bigger. He's just lacks a little bit of size and length. And I, I think there's a little bit of like Terry Rozier in him. Like he's probably a better playmaker, but his ability to kind of like use his burst and speed, and he kind of like finishes around length rather than through it, kind of like Terry does with these kind of long kind of. Uh, outstretched arm finishing over bigs so i i love i absolutely love david mitchell yeah i'm a little i have him 24th and butler 27th right now i like butler a lot as well i think he's going to be a pretty good like bench shot creator guard he's got solid size to make up for not being like the most explosive guy uh but i i like mitchell as well i see a lot of some marcus smart in davion mitchell like the 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 like that call yeah, the the six two, like you're just not gonna move him off of his spot, like without using like heavy machinery. Probably, like he's a really good shooter. He's a re- like a I, I think he he plays point guard for Baylor, so it's not like an underrated aspect of his game. But like I think when he gets to the NBA, people will be like somewhat surprised at how competent he is at just like running an offense for a, a pro level team. His th- three-point attempt rate right now, too, is .498, and he shoots 45.6%. So, I mean, like, the, if for his shooting to not translate to the NBA would just be a – like, such a stark drop-off that, uh, like, he's, like – he's another guy, not to the same degree as, like, Kispert or Franz Wagner, but I'd be incredibly surprised if he doesn't play, like, like two contracts worth – in the NBA, like eight years, 10 years, something like that. Like he probably, he won't ever start probably because of his size and just a certain like limitations that he has as an athlete and just being a defensive minded point guard. But like, I'd, I'd be very surprised if he ever like flames out of the league early or something like that. There, there aren't that many guys in this draft that are going to bust out. I think at least in the first round. My, my only worry with Devin Mitchell is that the Chris Dunn effect, right? And I think Chris Dunn's another comp you could probably throw out there. For yeah, him. that's true. But, uh, that is a good one. With Chris Dunn, like, he shot really well from three in his final year at Providence. And everyone's like, yeah, he's mastered the shooting. He's got it. And you look at Devin Mitchell, he shot 28% in his year at Auburn. Last year at Baylor, he shot 32%. And, like, you, I, I agree that you watch him shoot and it looks like his – his like flow of body and energy looks perfect, like into the shot. It looks so well balanced. But I do think there is a little bit of a worry here. Well, is he actually a 35, 36% shooter? And then if he is, then I'm not so sure he's gonna, and that's probably what's holding me back from putting him in straight lottery, just because we have seen these guys who are in the system uh, and they have a great year and they look like they're great shooters, and then they get to the NBA and you think, oh, actually, we should have paid attention to that two, three-year sample size before that one season of, like, 20 games. That, that's my only concern. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit lower on Davian Mitchell than both of you. I've got him at 27, but <clears throat> I think that he's a surefire first-round prospect. You know, he's offense, defense are both there. Um, I think the, the assist numbers are interesting as well. He's not necessarily the primary playmaker there, um, just because Jared Butler is, you know, he's also a pretty good passer. Um, down in Baylor but I think that both of those guys are are really interesting I think both are probably solid first round prospects Um, 
I think that there, there were just so many point guards taken last year. Um, but I mean, like if you look at the first round of the NBA draft last year, you saw probably 15 point guards. It was just, it was absurd. Um, so I think that alone might drop them just a little bit. Um, although I think they're both, both really, really solid NBA players. Do you got, what do you guys think about the, um, uh, James Booknight from UConn? He is a, a, a projected to go eighth on Tankathon right now. Personally, I think that's like pretty high for him. I wouldn't be surprised if he's available in the Hornets draft range on, or on draft night because I think he's really interesting as a scorer, but he strikes me as one of those guys that's like he's a good scorer but not a good shooter. So And like in the NBA, that doesn't work as well unless you're like exceedingly talented and like you're going to be like one of those just like a volume scorer. He's – not good enough at, at it to be that at the NBA level. So what do you guys think about him as like a long-term prospect? I feel like he's one of the more divisive guys that's in the top like 15 or so. I have him sixth for what it's worth. Wow. Okay. Right okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really high on him, but I also, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm willing to buy into a shooting because I think that free throw percentage is a little bit more indicative of three point shooting at the NBA level than three point shooting at the college level, if that makes sense. No, yeah, I get you. Um, and he's shooting, he shot, you know, 80% from the free throw line the past two years. So I think he'll probably be a, at least a 34, 35% three point shooter at the next level. And if that holds, I think his, his inside scoring is just way too good, not for him to be a high level starter. Uh, yeah, his finishing is really – he's super explosive and coordinated around the basket, like that combination that he has. Uh, he, he gets a lot of hang time when he jumps as well, which helps for a guard in finishing around the rim. He's like – I don't know where to put him. I have him at 11 right now. I'm down 18. I don't – yeah, see, I don't feel super confident. Like, if I were to move him up, I would also be like, ah, this is too high. But if I moved him down, I'd think it's too low. And I don't know. I, I It's just hard – to figure out where to put him right now, especially like he didn't play terribly uh, in their first round matchup that they lost against Maryland, but he didn't necessarily help them. I don't know what he had in the first half, but I don't believe that he made more than one field goal before the uh, second half started. I think so. this is interesting though, because it just does go to show this draft. Like I have someone 18, Dylan has some six. <laughs> like once you get outside the top five, it's yeah. really, really hard to kind of split up a lot of these prospects. And I do think, you know, if you, if you are, what's the difference this year between like picking eight and 16? I, I don't know if there is that much of a difference. I think all these guys could go in a different order. Um, but, it, but it is interesting. I, I think for me, like if he had a more of a playmaking ability, but not, I'd be more on board because yeah. then I can like see him handling the ball a bit more, having the ball in his hand and, and leading a second unit or something like that. But he, I just, I, you know, he averages, I think, more, more turnovers. He's got negative turnover to assist ratio, almost three turnovers a game to just two assists. So, yeah, I'm, I'm yet to see the excitement that everyone sees with Book Knight. I think he makes tough shots. I think he has some, you know, absolutely crazy dunks. Um, but you've got to be an efficient player if you're going to be a role player in the NBA. He's not really shown to be an efficient guy. And I, I, I don't know if he's going to have you know, be able to put up the numbers to just kind of do what he wants like he does in college. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely lower than consensus in book night. Is there 
any other uh, prospects that you guys want to want to touch on before we get into Dylan's bold prediction and wrap stuff up here? No, I'm good. Um, what do you like? Scotty Barnes is another guy that I think a lot of people are really high on or really low on. What What do you guys think? I I will preface. I'm just gonna say I really like Scotty Barnes, but I, I want to hear what what you guys think about him first. I really don't know what to do with Scotty Barnes. It's it's so hard. Like I'd love to say he's like a, a brilliant switchable defender and he can guard all five positions. I, but I don't even like, that's what he was sold as coming into college. And I don't know if we've seen that completely. I think he is a good defender and he's great pressuring people and forcing steals. But like on the interior, he he, he doesn't have great rim protection numbers. I, I've got him like kind of end of the lottery at the minute, like 10, 11. But I'm, I'm honestly, he's probably one of those prospects that I find it hardest to put on him and peg. And I think playing at Florida State doesn't help because they have such strange roles at Florida State, and he's coming off the bench there. Um, so I'm honestly, he's probably one of the guys I feel least good about. I'm mostly going off kind of uh, his measurables and his feel for the game, which I, I think he does have. Like guys who defend that hard, are that big, and can pass like he can, like normally find a way to succeed, like a kind of Kyle Anderson type. Uh, but I'm, I'm kind of, that's one that I think could move either way for me in, in the run-up to the draft as I dig into more film. Yeah, I think that he, he reminds me a lot of um, Miami Heat Justice Winslow, just in the fact that he's one of their primary creators, mainly because Florida State has like 20 players that are all like seven feet tall. So he, I think that his assist numbers, I don't think that's a lie. I think that if a team wanted to play him at point guard, he probably has the capability to do so. I wouldn't necessarily do that if I were, if I were a team though. I think that you know, he's a very versatile defender, and that alone is going to make him um, more valuable. The shooting is what trips me up, though, because he's, I mean, sub 30% from three, 60% from the free throw line. Like, that's not that's not good. Not necessarily going to get better either. So I think if a team wants to take a shot on a versatile defender that can play make, I think that those are two skills that usually always hit in the NBA. You know, playmaking doesn't necessarily go away, nor does defending but the shooting is really going to limit what he can be as an NBA level guy. Yeah. So I'm basically where you guys are. I'm not like it's, he's kind of the same as book night for me, but like the inverse of where I'm not confident and where I have him, but I like him, but a book night, I'm not confident where I have him, but I'm, I, I don't like him as much. I think that anybody who has Jalen Johnson, like in the top, whatever top 12 of their board needs to at least have Scotty Barnes one position higher. Like I think that everything that Jalen Johnson does, Scotty Barnes does a little bit better. And he's not quite as much of like a center per se as Jalen Johnson would be, but the defensive versatility I think is just overall better because Scotty seems to be way quicker with his feet. And he just generally seems like much more of an aggressive guy on defense. Like he just wants to go out and defend smaller players and shut them down on the perimeter. Like I think that's probably something that Leonard Hamilton has instilled in him. Cause Patrick Williams was like a little bit of the same way. And, uh, and Devin Vassell especially was, was the same way. He just wanted to go out and defend. But if, if Scotty Barnes can make, like we were saying earlier, like one, three a game or may shoots like 32, 33, 34%. I think he's like a starter in the NBA at least just because of how good he's going to be at defense. And like you guys have said, the playmaking is 
like is very very good for somebody of his size like i don't know where he would i did find frustrating watching florida state this year they used him as a point guard and the whole reason he went to florida state because because then hamilton said i'm gonna play you at point guard which scotty barnes wanted to do but i don't see him as a point guard in the nba i just i I view him as like a four or a five who can switch everything on defense and can be like a great short roll passer in that draymond green kind of role where you switch everything and you can kind of like you know launch the launch the offense off that short roll and you've just not been able to really see him do that this year at Florida State. And that's, again, why I find it hard to, to project him because the role I want to see him in, I've not really seen him play. And he's normally like handling the ball at the top of the key and like being the primary ball handler in a pick and roll. And that's great that he can do that. But I've not seen enough kind of burst for him to, to do that full time at the NBA level for that to be his calling card. And that does make sense because if he doesn't shoot well, like he's going to have to be like basically an elite playmaker and defender for his position to make up for the lack of floor spacing and uh, production that he's going to give on offense. Cause he's not he, uh, to boot with being a great shooter. He's not really just a great scorer generally. Like he, he's not that good just attacking closeouts or just going one-on-one and beating his guy. He really doesn't have any pull-up scoring like at all. He has a little bit of a, like a nice touch, like runner floater, like turnaround over his shoulder but I feel like that's more of a product of him just being like bigger and more athletic than a lot of the people that he plays against in college. I don't think that that's going to be there in the NBA, but his offense is a pretty big question mark outside of the playmaking, but everything else, like those two skills are just so important at the NBA level. It makes it hard for me to not like I have him at 10 and I think I'm just going to like not move him at all. Like just cause I feel like, I feel like putting him outside of the top 10, with the peak that he could have as a player, like he basically has to be in that range because if he shoots, like he's going to be a long-term starter on a really good team and provide a lot of value to teams in the like context of like a modern basketball team. But if he doesn't like, I don't, he like, I, I don't even know how long he'd play in the NBA. Like it might, might be like one or two contracts worth in like six, six years or so. Like that'd be tough to make that work without a jump shot or any scoring ability, really. Yeah, it could be kind of like an MKG without like he's a bad yes, yes, that with an MKG, but like a guy who can't shoot but is really versatile defensively. But like, and like he's got the ball handling side and the passing side, which is why he's uh, you know even ranked the lottery prospect. But we, we need to see how that translates to the next level. Like, I I think I just think he could be like an interesting fit in Charlotte if you if everyone else on the team can shoot. And you've got him as like your defensive linchpin. He's actually someone who makes quite a bit of sense for Charlotte specifically, because I can see them looking at him and going, "Yeah, we can work with this guy. He's got a great attitude. With our player development process, we can we can teach him to shoot, and then we've got something on our hands." But I, I wouldn't move up to get him. But he's someone that I could see Charlotte considering. Yeah, I I, I, I like that's very interesting because the way that I look at it is like I don't know how they would ever play like him and miles or him and PJ like together at the so, same time. So I think that if, if, you know, if they draft him, I think the solution would be he's your backup point guard possibly. And you might trade Devonte in that situation just because his playmaking is probably the only thing he can do on offense. I mean, at this point. Um, so if you do want to get as much value as you can, that's probably how you do it. Um, unless you just, you know, you sit him in the corner and just, let him sit there every possession, which you don't necessarily want to see. Um, so I think that 
you know, if, if you do end up drafting him, at least experimenting him at, you know, as a point guard who can just switch on defense is probably probably what you end up doing. Yeah, and then you'd have the you'd have like two jumbo point guards basically. Lomelo oh, six yeah. six, he's six nine. That would just like even if those he, guys can play together too. Yeah, exactly. And he because you that would that lineup would allow you to put Scotty as like a big or like a forward or center or whatever. And then that if if and if you're playing Scott like taking Lomelo off and just putting Scotty back on, like. I there's just off the top of my head, no team in the NBA is going to match up with that because nobody else would have two point guards that are taller than six, six. Like that's just not something that teams can do. So even if he's not that great right off the bat, you would at least be putting him in a good situation to create advantages. So I do, I, that's actually, I do like that. When I was like prepping for this, I was thinking about that. And I thought like he was, he's one of the guys that I could just definitely not see them drafting because of the, you you're all of your good players would just be like six, nine forwards or point guards. And you'd just be adding to that problem that they already kind of have now. But if you're just envisioning him as a backup point guard, actually, I think I do like that a lot more. I'm, I'm, I might have to use, like, look into or put him on 2k and get a, get him on the Hornets or something and see how that works. Yeah. I, 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 just think, I just think the turnovers and the handle just isn't quite there for me. I like his passing instincts, but not enough to play as a lead guard in the NBA. But, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I think that, I mean, if you move Lamelo off ball and have Scotty as the one, I think it kind of works. Um, I mean, it's just, it, it's all dependent on how good of a playmaker is he, how good of a defender is he, and is his shooting passable? You know, those are the questions with him. And those questions are, you know, I mean, compared to other guys in the lottery this year, they're big questions, you know. Yeah, for sure. Like he, yeah, he's definitely what well, his shooting, I would, I would say just overall is probably the biggest question mark of anybody in the lottery right now, just because in terms of like a swing skill, but I mean, we'll, we'll get to see him hopefully play quite a few more games in the NCAA tournament. Cause I got Florida state going to the elite eight with the Florida state fighting Leonard Hamilton's making a nice run. Hopefully he can help them with that. I don't, he doesn't, I don't – how well did he play in their first game? That was like one of the three well. four games I didn't watch. Yeah, <laughs> Not particularly well. I think okay. He, I think he played great. Yeah, because I saw I that they like con- they got a scare a little bit from UNC Greensboro. Yeah, yeah four points and five turnovers. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's – yeah, that's not really good. I, I won't <laughs> – I won't, I won't uh, sugarcoat that. So hopefully he can pick it up for the next one. But before we get going here – we make every single guest that ever comes on the show give us a bold prediction that we can clip and headline it and put post it on the internet and mince your words to make it seem like you said something absolutely outlandish. So before you get out of here, what is your bold prediction for the second half of the season for the Hornets? I, I don't think the Hornets will be bad enough to play in a playing game. And I think they'll win at least two playoff games against whoever they play. Whether it's the Bucks, the Nets, or the Sixers, I think they'll win at least two. I like the I optimism. That, uh, there we go. I, I mean, they, they just match up so well against teams. I think that you know their depth, particularly against like a team like the Nets, would really give them. I mean, it's not giving them an advantage, but it gives them a little bit of at least something, you know. And and against Philly, um, they just Charlotte can sometimes shoot really, really well. Um, and against a team that's so defensively good as Philadelphia is, especially inside, I think it could really work. 
Um, I just, I don't know. I think that the Hornets are, uh, they, they should be able to win at least two games in the playoffs. That'd be great if they did. I mean, that'd be the first playoff win they got since the series against Miami. So uh, that, that would be, I mean, if they won any playoff games, that is a huge step. Um, but yeah, I like it. Bold. Yeah, and I, like, I, if they make the playoffs, I, I do think that their shooting is probably just going to give them one game. Like there might be one game where Terry scores 38 and it, Hayward has 25 or Devonte has 25 off the bench or something, and they just outshoot the other team that they're playing on one night. I, 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 I like that prediction. I, I, it's also nice to get some, some optimism around here. The Hornets fans, fan base has seemed to be very, very down in the dumps lately after this uh, horrific road trip against three of the best teams in the NBA. Uh, apparently everybody's surprised that they lost those games, but you know, we definitely got to get, get rolling back in the right direction here pretty soon. But yeah, I think that, um, you know, Terry and, and Monk are both just, you know, they're, they're both electric. They have their games. And if they can both, quote, have their games, you know, against the same team, same day, probably a win, you know. I, yeah. I mean, it doesn't really matter who it's, who it's against. But if you've got, you know, two guys shooting 10 for 13 in the same game, you're, you're probably going to walk away with the win. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter who you're playing. It doesn't matter what team it is that has the guys going 10 for 13. It like, it's just the NBA is a make or miss league. People say it all the time. If you make shots, you're going to win. If you miss shots, you're going to lose. It sounds very simple, but it, it comes down to that like literally every single day. We, we see it all the time with the Hornets uh, recently not making the shots the, that, the, that are presented to them. They end up losing by a lot. So it's a perfect recipe uh so far but thank you very much for joining us today dylan it was a very nice discussion on the some march madness draft prospects everybody likes getting into the draft a little bit hornets fans are used to having to get into it a little earlier but hopefully in the next coming years we're gonna you know we'll have to we'll be able to postpone our draft analysis until you know june when the uh, eastern conference finals are wrapping up or something like that and you know we're writing about Lamelo's first appearance in the nba finals as a 21 year old but you know, we got to, well, that'll come in due time, but again, thank you for coming on. If you want to plug yourself on Twitter or tell people where to find your writing, you go for it right now. Yeah. You can find me at, uh, at dunking with wolves. I write about the Timberwolves. Um, also the king of, of Hornets Twitter at the Dylan Jackson. Uh, so follow me there and uh, appreciate you guys having me on. No, appreciate it. Thanks, Dylan. Yeah, of course. Everybody go follow the king of Hornets Twitter. And of course, thank you for listening to this week's episode of At The Hive Live. I'm Chase, my co-host James, and our guest Dylan. We will see you next episode.